Located in the beautiful city of Philadelphia, a Star Wars podcast emerges from hyperspace. My name is Sean, and MRC Tech presents The Last Podcast. What are you talking about? Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that new intro sounder provided by Chill Hop Music. You can find them on Twitter at Chill Hop Music. Let's get right into some big news. The Rise of Skywalker and The Force Awakens producer Michelle Redjuan, named Senior Vice President of Live Action Development and Production for Lucasfilm, as reported by John Huey of Star Wars News Net. Lucasfilm President Kathleen Kennedy has just named Michelle Redjuan the company's new senior vice president of live action development and production. Redjuan was a producer for The Force Awakens and is a producer for the upcoming The Rise of Skywalker. According to Deadline, Redjuan will continue to produce while overseeing future live action content. Redjuan was brought into Lucasfilm fold via J.J. Abrams, having worked with Abrams on his production company, Bad Robots Movies, Super 8, and Star Trek Into Darkness, prior to serving as a co-producer on Abrams' The Force Awakens, which relaunched the Star Wars saga in 2015. It is clear Kennedy has been very happy with her work, not only on The Force Awakens, but the yet-to-be-released The Rise of Skywalker. According to the Lucasfilm president, working with Michelle over the last seven years as a producer on both The Force Awakens and now The Rise of Skywalker, I have seen firsthand her skills collaborating with writers and directors, and I have been incredibly impressed with her creative skills and her ability to manage the complexity surrounding these massive projects. I know the importance of building a team that you trust and have fun working with. It is paramount to our success. There's an exciting momentum building around the future of the franchise, and both myself and the Lucasfilm team look forward to working with Michelle and shaping the future in all areas of story development, from theatrical film development to live-action content for Disney+. So here is what her role will officially be. As Senior Vice President of Live-Action Development and Production, Michelle Redjuan oversees all theatrical and direct-to-consumer live-action content and is responsible for identifying and delivering future projects for Lucasfilm. Working closely with Lucasfilm President Kathleen Kennedy, Redjuan shapes and implements the creative strategy for Star Wars and Lucasfilm. Redjuan is currently producing the final installment of the Skywalker Saga, The Rise of Skywalker with Kathleen Kennedy and J.J. Abrams, During her time at Bad Robot Productions in Los Angeles, Redjuan served as a co-producer on The Force Awakens, Star Trek Into Darkness, and an associate producer on Super 8. Redjuan has been a key member of the Lucasfilm Creative Brain Trust since 2015. Ooh, I would say that that's a bit of a pressure job, would you say, considering the fan base. Now, this news came out And to be honest with you, I don't know who this lady is. I don't pay attention to executive producers. I did a little bit of digging, but not too much digging. And from what I see, if she's attached to J.J. Abrams, and she produced the, as of right now, the highest grossing domestic film in America, that's what domestic means, at $900 plus million, then I would say she has pretty good credentials. Now, you could argue 
that she doesn't have a lot of credentials. But guess what? It's the same catch-22 when you're a kid coming out of high school and you don't have experience and you're trying to get a job. I can't get a job because I have no experience. I can't get experience because I don't have a job. So let's give this Michelle a chance. As you could tell with the full-stop production of the movies after the solo quote-unquote flop, they wanted to reevaluate what's going down. If they can put into place a installment plan or some sort of roadmap to future Star Wars stories and they follow through with the production value a la MCU, then the Star Wars franchise will live on forever. That's what they're trying to accomplish. If you're not okay with that, then the VHSs for the original trilogy are still available to you. If you don't want to hop on this bus of the new Star Wars and you want to live in the past, then that's fine. You can stop listening now. But if you want to go on this journey with us and explore the new content and like the new characters and cry with them and mirror to them and be with them and really connect with them, then the new Star Wars is what is happening. John Huey, 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 I'm not sure how to pronounce your name, but thank you. We've uh, connected on Twitter a little bit. I follow him. I uh, post some really great stuff. So thanks for bringing that news on Star Wars News Net. Recapping last week's discussion points, what are you most excited for in Galaxy's Edge? Do you have any of the Rise of Skywalker theories? And do you think Poe and the Last Jedi made the right call sending the bombers into battle? So uh, Mike from uh, Instagram, m.cassini, says, and thank you again for contributing, the hotel experience at Disney World is what he's most looking forward to in Galaxy's Edge, and I'm assuming you're uh, referring to the immersive experience uh, for Rise of Skywalker theories. Kylo somehow sacrifices himself. Man, oh man, I'm hoping and praying that he flies the Falcon and sacrifices both himself and the Falcon as a character to save something, to end it all, so to speak. And number three, yes, I think he did it, Poe, I think Poe did it to send a message of hope even though he knew it was ultimate failure. That is such a curious theory because I never really looked at it like that. I honestly looked at it like Poe was trying to sort of uh, peacock a little bit. Like, you know what? This was the plan. There's no flexibility in the plan. We're not going to retreat. And it's a little bit of pigheadedness for me. But you see it on the other side. Like, you know what? We've got a shot here. We can make the resistance feel a little bit better about taking down a huge ship. That's totally plausible. And, you know, I'd be totally in it, except they lost a lot of their bombers. So maybe this was a stepping stone to him really learning that. So thanks, Mike, for contributing. That was really awesome of you. Appreciate that. Next up, we have Mike Mann of Monkey Basement Productions and Rilo CSW. Uh, from Instagram, we've connected a bit, and I've realized that uh, two Instagram handles and Twitter handles is one person. So Mike Mann of Monkey Basement Productions has brought to you a nice, short, and sweet audio segment 
like he did last time and kept it under four minutes because he's the man. Here you go. Hello, Sean. It is your number one fan, Mike, man. Yes, you have a very good podcast. I don't listen to a lot of Star Wars podcasts, but yours is one of the main ones I listen to now, even though you've only had two episodes and you're going on your third. Anyway, these are the answers to your questions. What am I most excited for in Galaxy's Edge? Well, I think I answered this in the last one. I'm excited to see that Millennium Falcon life-size. It's It's got to be breathtaking. I mean, I'm sure pictures don't do it justice. Um, I'm excited for the blue milk. I'd like to ch- at least see it or taste it. I really like to uh, get a couple of those Coca-Cola bottles, too, that look like little thermal detonators or whatever. Those look really neat. Um, and the lightsaber, of course, I, I love those kind of lightsabers. I love those kind of experiences and I'm looking forward to seeing how they do it and, and, and having my own. So, um, you said make it short and sweet. So here's the next one. Do you have any theories for the rise of Skywalker? Um, I think, I think we're going to find out who Ray's parents are. And I don't think they will be significant. Um, Maybe they're significant to the resistance or something like that, but I don't think they're, I don't think it's like the solos or the skywalkers. I think she is, I think she's a nobody and I don't like saying nobody, but she's a, she's a nobody. Lastly, do I like Poe in The Last Jedi? I do like Poe. I think he's a funny guy. I think he's a good character. Um, We need a little bit of a kind of a funny guy, kind of a, he's a little bit of the comic relief. And he's, he's kind of a badass. I mean, um, I, I think he's, I think he's a cool character. Um, I don't know if he made the right call sending the bombers into battle. That is, that's a tough call right there. Um, I mean, yes, they took out a dreadnought, which like he said, is a fleet killer. I mean, that was a heck of a machine there. Um, I mean, war is war, but I mean, it got rid of I. I it got rid of uh, a, a couple of really good characters, and one of them was um, Rose Rose Tico's sister. Uh, I read the book. Um, I can't remember the name of the book the the Squadron book that that she was part of. Rose was part of it too, and it was a really good book. And um, to see her go was kind of a bummer. So, yeah. Those are the answers to my questions or to your questions. I'm sorry. So there you go, buddy. Thanks, man. I really enjoy your show. Keep it up. Don't ever stop, please. I drive a lot and I need stuff to listen to later. Well, that was Mike Mann of Monkey Basement Productions. Thanks a lot for your kind words. Again, what an amazing, amazing world we live in where I can put out an audio thing on the internet and get responses and then connect with people that I normally wouldn't connect with. It is truly wonderful. I am also looking forward to building my own lightsaber in Galaxy's Edge. 
Uh, I do enjoy your The Rise of Skywalker theory with Ray just being kind of a no one, uh, a normal, right? Not just a nobody, but someone we can connect with, right? A nobody is somebody who's has, you know, no purpose. She definitely has a purpose. And I think the message that they've been trying to send in the sequel trilogy is that at any point we can be called on to be a hero. And I think that is something that is going to be true by the end of this saga. And then finally, I can see your point with Poe with being sort of a comedic relief, but I sort of like seeing uh, a person who goes through a good character arc. And in The Last Jedi, Poe really does go through a good character arc from, you know, hot shot, knows it all, no regrets, to, you know, we got to think about the future here and, and, and try to um, uh, last, you know. So where he was at in the beginning of the movie is not where he's at at the end, and that's a uh, sign of a good dynamic character. So thanks, Mike, for chiming in there. I really appreciate it. And uh, looking forward to hearing uh, your next thoughts. As always, during this part of the podcast, I'd like to shout out the We Pod Squad Network. We have three podcasts attached to the We Pod We Pod Squad Network. It starts off with We Podcast and We Know Things coming to your earbuds every Friday morning. They record on Thursday nights. I know it takes me a while to record, especially solo. I can't imagine the shenanigans that it takes to get something recorded and over to you by Friday. By the way, in a singular night, I record my stuff four days before I send it to Greg because I know it takes me a while. So kudos to Greg and Sam for bringing you great content in a quick, quick turnaround. Honestly, it reminds me of South Park where the guys are literally grinding for 48 hours to produce a show so listen to them every friday morning catch their old catalog on the uh their website we podcast and we know things and buy some of their swag it's pretty rad the other show a wonderful wonderful show something that if i was just browsing on by i might not have listened to but i gave it a shot the ion ryan show coming to you on the opposite Tuesday of the last podcast, and he's been talking about AEW wrestling and connecting it to MCU. As I said before, I've got no interest in wrestling. Didn't grow up with it, never was exposed to it. But I have thoughts now on how AEW could be of interest to me, and I may just watch that first free viewing of AEW on public. So I'll be looking forward to getting the recaps from the Ion Ryan show. And honestly, he's just got great, insightful thoughts. Although his worst thought he had was that he hated The Last Jedi. But we'll talk about that one day when we do our crossover podcast somewhere down the line. And hey, if you didn't get a chance to listen to the Ion Ryan podcast, you might want to, because he has a giveaway going on right now that you'll have to listen to his podcast to get the full details on that. But he has a giveaway, it's a sweet giveaway. And I definitely entered, so hopefully you enter too, so you can get that sweet, sweet swag. Let's take some time and go back to Galaxy's Edge for a moment. I found some interesting tidbits on Twitter. According to at Slimo underscore Trevorrow, 
as in the director Colin Trevorrow, the original director who was supposed to be handling episode 9 before he was let go because of creative differences, stated that the Imagineering team asked us to develop a new ship for the park, as in Galaxy's Edge, while we were designing the film, as in Episode 9. The Thai Echelon was part of an upgraded First Order fleet, an armed troop transport, the equivalent of a Black Hawk stealth helicopter. So the First Order encampment in Galaxy's Edge is helmed by what they're calling the Thai Echelon, and you can, you know, Get, get a picture of that on Google and check it out. It's obviously a sweet-looking ship. And that original idea came from Colin Trevorrow. So even though he was let go because of creative differences, they, he still has a little piece of the galaxy that he's responsible for. So I thought that was pretty cool. But remember, he also did Jurassic World, so all, cre- all credibility lost as of right now. But... Nice job, Colin. Keep up the good work. And thank you, at Slimo underscore, for bringing that to my attention. Much appreciated. As Mike stated about his Galaxy's Edge excitement, there are definitely some things to purchase in Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at Disneyland. The total cost to buy one of everything on this list that I'm about to give you is $36,780. $36,780. According to Mercury News by Brady MacDonald on June 6, 2019, the new Star Wars Galaxy's Edge theme land has some high-end merchandise without of the, without of this world prices. <laughs> Whatever you're imagining, add a zero or two on the end of it. Think Rodeo Drive by way of a galaxy far, far away. We're ta- uh, we're talking big ticket items that will set you back more than a Disneyland annual pass, your monthly house payment, or even a new car. So let's take a look at the list. First up, a four hundred dollar Stormtrooper helmet. Four hundred dollars. For the same price, you could buy 13 of the $30 First Order Stormtrooper voice-changing masks at First Order Cargo and Outfit, your own platoon. A $450 Imperial TIE Fighter helmet. Sweet. A $450 Royalty Cuff. So I imagine that this is something that Leia Organa would wear. $450 Aura Weave Bracelet. The climbing rope bracelet features thin golden strands that core around the wrist approximately 30 times. $665 Poe Dameron's X-Wing Helmet. Wow. $750 Kylo Ren Helmet. I think these are a bit authentic. For $2,000, you can get the Chalcedony Waves Necklace. As a member of the House of Organa, the royal family of Alderaan, Princess Leia wore the silver-plated necklace at the victory celebration at the end of the original 77 Star Wars film. For just a mere $6,615, you can get a First Order Stormtrooper armor. 
all that plastic for $6,600. And finally, if you're doing the math, there's a big chunk of money missing for only $25,000, you can get a life-size custom astromech unit. The remote-controlled R2-D2 is battle-worn and grimy, just like the starship mechanic and fighter pilot's assistant from the Star Wars movies. And again, the total cost to buy one of everything on the list, $36,780. And guess what? The lightsabers weren't even mentioned on here, which means, you know, and they're pretty expensive. I, I think, you know, you're going to spend about $200, but that is insanity to spend that money. I, I won't be spending that much money on little proppy things, but rest assured. I will be getting some sort of resistance something, a lightsaber something, a holocran something, and all that good stuff. I know I haven't been to Galaxy's Edge yet, but you might be wondering what the crowds were like and the lines and how did that all work out. Well, on Polygon.com and according to Chris Plant, when I told friends and family I would attend the opening of Disneyland's new Star Wars Land, Galaxy's Edge, they tended to reply one of three ways. Tell me what blue milk tastes like. Grab me a lightsaber. Have fun waiting forever in lines. For months, I dreamt about digging into the lands, streets, lures, and fancy new rides smugglers run. But the more I heard about the park, the more I feared everybody would be right. How could Disney control crowds in Star Wars Land when its Avatar-themed sibling at Disney World still saw lines upward of six hours? Disney must have learned some big lessons from Pandora's opening because on opening day, Galaxy's Edge wasn't just comfortable. It felt at times less crowded than the rest of Disneyland on peak hours. Sometimes, like when we exited through Batuu's shady forest, passing an oddly ignored full-size X-Wing, it was downright serene. Credit Disneyland's reservation system and some top-notch people management from the Galaxy's Edge staff. From opening day through June 23rd, guests looking to enter Galaxy's Edge will need a Disneyland ticket along with official reservations. Disney Parks are for offered a no-purchase system, though those reservations have been fully claimed. When we entered the park, we were instructed to wait on our first line of the day. At the Tomorrowland building, once known for the Carousel of Progress, we joined a long, angular line drawn into the pavement and taped the the queue looked intimidating, but before one of us could buy the other's coffee, we'd already reached the front. This was a recurring trend. Big lines moved quickly. We were told to arrive outside the entrance to Galaxy's Edge no more than 50 minutes before our time slot, so we did just that, arriving at 10.45. Again, we found a huge intimidating crowd, this one not confined to a line. Though squeezed together, everybody was in an ecstatic mood. For 15 minutes, we chatted with strangers about Disney history, Star Wars lore, and the cute costumes they had bought or made for the kids who waited patiently beside them. No one sprinted when the doors opened because what they found inside the park required their attention. Dozens of folks peeled from the crowd to take photos of a life-size A-Wing. Others scooted to the various merch stalls. A few stopped just to buy Coke or water with the custom Arabesh logos. Of course... Many guests hurried to the Millennium Falcon ride, but to get there, they were diverted by, a ca by the cast around the land's periphery. Rather than flood the bazaar, boutique shops, and restaurants in the center of the park, the people who wanted to get to the ride were kept on the wide, uncrowded walkways that looped all the way around Batuu and culminated perfectly just outside the ride. On opening day, the wait to climb inside the Millennium Falcon rarely spiked over one hour, and we saw the wait time dip to as low as 30 minutes. I overheard a number of folks bragging that they'd rode smugglers run twice, and we're considering a third go. Maybe the ride is efficient. Maybe the reservations meant fewer potential riders. Maybe guests had other things to do. Whatever the case, 
I was never concerned about fitting the ride into my four-hour window at the land. The only two lines that seemed to cause a stir were at Savi's workshop and Oga's cantina. Savi's is where guests can build their own lightsabers. Only 14 guests build their lightsabers per show, so the line was unsurprisingly long. Oga's Cantina is the one place in Disneyland where an adult can buy an alcoholic drink. Maybe people really needed a space cocktail, but that seemed to have a long wait. With an hour left of my time at the park, cast members could tell me could tell my time frame by the color of the wristband. I was told I couldn't line up for a drink at Oga's. I wouldn't have time to wait in line, order a stiff drink, and enjoy myself before I had to make my way for the next round of guests. Nobody likes to be told that they can't have what they want, especially when they want, especially when... What they want is time with DJR3X, but I respected the policy knowing that this was the deal that allowed Disney Parks to balance the number of folks who want to see this new land and the land's limited amount of space. Throughout the day, <coughs> throughout the, day the crowds in Galaxy's Edge ebbed and flowed just as the crowds began to feel unwieldy. A group's time would expire and they'd exit the land. Suddenly, I could take a photo without anybody in my way or really anywhere near me. Gradually, the crowds built back up and again, a group would leave and suddenly the place would feel oddly empty. As my colleague Charlie Hall writes in his impression of the first day, the land is full of things to see, games to play, and characters to meet. I think the land works because Disney Parks treats visiting the land as they would any other ride, controlling the number and the pace of guests who move through it with precision and allows the space to feel not like a crowded theme park, but a trade planet on the outer reaches of the galaxy. So it sounds like Disney did one heck of a job controlling the crowds, and that is good news. Because if you're paying attention to what's happening in Universal Studios, the new Hagrid ride dropped last Friday, and it's been a nightmare. Day one, 10-hour waits. Day two, nine-hour waits. A virtual queue not working. The ride breaking down. You would think that if you spent millions of dollars to plan this, that someone would have an idea of how to handle it. Guess what? Disney knows how to do this, and I am super excited to get to Galaxy's Edge. So I just wanted to clarify the costume policy that we mentioned the last episode. A clarification blog went out on DisneyParks.Disney.Go, written by Kevin Rafferty Jr., Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is all about living your own Star Wars story. Will you choose an affiliation with the rebellious resistance or the intimidating First Order? Will you accomplish your secret mission as a smuggler or your routine duties as a villager? For off-worlders visiting Batuu and dressing in attire befitting their stories, the current Disneyland Resort costume policy remains in effect while in Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. While costumes may not be worn by guests 14 years of age or older, appropriate bounding, such as dressing in outfits inspired by Star Wars, is permitted. The following guidelines will help you arrive to Batu in style. Proper footwear must be worn. So bounding means piecing together traditional clothing items that, when worn together, serve as a recognizable tribute to Star Wars characters. Batuan attire, wearing outfits inspired by the villagers of Batu, muted tones, vests, layers, etc. This is not, here's what's not permitted. All robes or military style attire, masks, face paint, elaborate headwear, blasters or holsters, lightsabers are allowed, or hard items such as body armor, helmets, or knee pads, or full character 
suits. Now, what's interesting is that if you go onto this Disney Parks blog and you look at the pictures and you look at what's allowed and what's not allowed, the only big difference I see is having your face covered or wearing a rebel flight suit or a full Jedi robe. But the allowed attire, it looks like someone combined Ray's upper costume with, like, yoga pants or the top of a Jedi robe, like a Jedi attire, and, like, cargo pants. So it seems like you can do it, like, halfway, but I guess the whole idea is that people in the park need you to not blend in with what's going down in the magic. So... I could see myself definitely bounding when we go to Galaxy's Edge in the near future. So it's pretty cool that you can still kind of dress to impress, but you just can't go in like full Praetorian Guard armor or full Stormtrooper armor or a full Chewbacca suit, you know, so that makes total sense to me. So that's just a little clarification on dressing the part in Disneyland's Galaxy's Edge. Let's put in some coordinates and transfer out of the Galaxy's Edge space and into a gaming space. Although Greg and Sam will probably cover this, it's important that we look over the new Star Wars games covered at E3 a couple weekends ago. The big one, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Brought to you by Respawn, brought to you by EA. Everybody groans at EA. But from what I hear, Respawn does a very good job at developing their games. So at E3, they showed official gameplay footage of Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. And of course, you have someone who's very familiar with the game. It's showing the uh, the best parts of the game. That's 15 minutes of uncut uh, gameplay. And we see a lot of cool stuff. We see the planet of Kashyyyk. We are introduced to our main character, Cal Kestis. Uh, he's accompanied by a little droid, BD-1. And what's awesome is that we get a sweet, sweet cameo of Saul Guerrera from several different mediums. And by several, I mean Clone Wars. I mean Rebels. I mean a book series. I mean Rogue One. Forrest Whitaker reprised his role to bring the best content ever to a video game. This is huge news for connecting the Star Wars universe. It's a great move, and it's going to go a long way. Even if the game is eh, just so-so, which it doesn't look like it is, You know, having Saul Guerrero be that keystone that's connecting a lot of things. And by the way, he's not even one of the main characters. He was a created character after the fact. So it's awesome that they're using a quote-unquote non-important character, even though he is an important character to the Star Wars universe, in this game. Uh, Respawn founder Vince Zampella and game director Stig Asmussen were on stage during EA Play, the company's E3 press conference of sorts, to talk about the game. Zampella has previously said that Fallen Order will be driven by a heavy narrative. That helps explain why so much of the gameplay was dedicated to Kestis' character. Fallen Order's new trailer also provides a little more insight into how the game will incorporate the canonical Star Wars universe. So we're looking forward to that on November 15th 
of this year, and I will 100% be playing this on the PC. So look out for that on the stream. Thank you, Julie Alexander of The Verge, for bringing us that little recap of Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. So speaking of the universe and how that game fits in... Austin Goslin of Polygon tries to place it inside the Star Wars universe right now. So again, once a gameplay trailer happens, we start to theorize and try to figure out what's going on. So when does Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order take place? The game is set sometime after Order 66. Order 66 was the big execution order where the Clone Wars had a chip implanted in them to... Uh, go against a Jedi as ordered by Emperor Palpatine. But it but it takes place before the events of Rogue One, because obviously Saul Gerrera dies in Rogue One, and he's much, much older in Rogue One. Order 66 uh, occurs in Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. So the exact date isn't exactly known, but, you know, they have a few guesses based on the clues. Order 66 takes, takes place in the year 19 BBY, uh, which means the uh, before the Battle of Yavin. This is a little timing uh, convention that the Star Wars universe uses. Episode 4 takes place in the year 0. So between 19 BBY and 0 uh, is when it happens. So we have 19 years to deal with. So what's interesting about that stat is that Luke Skywalker was 19 at the start of Episode 4. So this can't happen too far before... Uh, well, I guess, you know, depending on when it takes place, it, it could be a couple years. Maybe it happens like 16 BBY or something. But does it matter? You know, you have clues... The, from the timeline, you get stormtroopers that they see on Kashyyyk. Uh, they don't have the colorful designations that mark different types of soldiers and ranks in the Clone Wars army. Instead, the armor is all white, meaning that the game likely takes place several years after Episode 3. So think of like Captain Rex, and he had the blue armor uh, on his like wristlets. It appears that it's been a couple years, and the stormtroopers are the more traditional stormtroopers that we're used to from Episode 4. There's also clues about Saul. Uh, Saul is a central figure in the rebellion over the course of Star Wars Rogue One. First training during the Clone Wars, Saul eventually led a rogue segment of Resistance fighters working against the Empire after the fall of the Republic. In the gameplay segment, Respawn showed Saul was looking a whole lot better and a whole lot younger than when we saw him in Rogue One. So we've still got a few years before he and Jin Erso meet for a final time. So who is the main character, Cal? Based on what we know... Cal appears to be a pretty young Jedi. Developers from Respawn mention that Cal has only recently graduated from being a Padawan, which might be where he starts the game, but he's still not quite a full Jedi yet. We do see him use some pretty basic Force powers during the gameplay demo, including Force Push and Force Pull. We also see him freeze enemy stormtroopers and even blaster bolts, a power we've mostly seen from Kylo Ren in the past. Another tidbit we got from the developers is Cal's overall mission. Seems his goal is to reestablish the Jedi Order. That means there are basically two possibilities. Either Cal succeeds and manages to establish an underground order that will help aid the rebels from the shadows, or like so many of the events between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope, 
he's doomed to fail. So what do you do there? You know, every any time you tell a story between two known stories, you're going to run into this issue. Can they retcon this and people be okay with it? Sure. I guess you could say, you know, they attempted to do this with The Force Unleashed, where the main character, and I believe his last name was Starkiller, uh, hint, hint, Starkiller base, uh, you know, sort of created the Rebel Alliance, the Starbird. You know, he was the catalyst for the rebellion. Now, of course, The Force Unleashed is no longer part of canon, so uh, immediately forget what I just said. So how will Cal's overall mission play in? Will there be connections to Rebels, the Rebels animated show? Will there be connections to Yavin? Does he go into hiding? See, this is where they get into trouble. We just talked about how they're bringing the universe together with Saul, but then we have to start thinking of the new character and how are they going to weave Cal into this story? Maybe his name has changed. You know, they did this with Captain Rex. They retconned him into Return of the Jedi, which I'm okay with. That's fine. You know, apparently that character had another name. Again, I'm a Star Wars fan, but I'm not like counting the credits and giving everybody, you know, a minute of my time. But, like, that's a fine retcon. If you want to say that he was in Return of the Jedi, that he survived the Clone Wars and the Battle of Yavin and Empire Strikes Back and he was on Endor for the the final battle, the final conflict, then I'm good. I'm good with it. It's fine. It's It's a wonderful thread if you can suspend disbelief. By the way, did I mention that this is a science fiction space opera? You gotta suspend some disbelief. You gotta give this story some room to grow. Uh, moving on, another huge game was announced by TT Games. Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga Instant Buy. No questions asked. I don't even need to know anything about the game. I've played these games in the past. All I know is that I've had a great time playing these games. From the humor to the missions to the uh, completers. I love collecting all the bricks to get that wonderful gold bar across. Uh, Co-op is fun enough. You know, it's built brick by brick from the ground up with new tech. Play all nine films in any order. Explore the galaxy and fly planet to planet. You got voices, 200 plus characters, two player co-op. Uh, OTS shooting, melee combos, and new force powers. My guess is that this will be all nine. You know, well, this, you know, on the We Podcast and We Know Things E3 wrap up, Greg and Chris mentioned that, well, I guess they were discussing whether or not this would be all nine games in one package, or are they going to pick and choose and rehash the entire Skywalker saga? The fact that it says play on nine films in any order tells me that it is going to be like the port, which obviously would be the more cost-efficient, cheap method of getting this onto the systems. Uh, You know, they would basically just have to develop The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker, but, I mean, that's, depending on the cost, you know, if this is $60, this is a pretty good value. You're getting all nine games 
for sixty dollars. It has to be sixty, or I'm gonna balk at it. To be honest with you, so looking forward to the Skywalker saga, and that's awesome. Finally, I'd like to mention something that I will be able to experience and bring you a full review next podcast episode. The Vader Immortal Episode 1 is coming to Oculus Rift S. If you're following me on YouTube, you're following me on Twitter a little bit, I was able to get an Oculus Rift S from the high school that I work at. We're testing new VR equipment because we are a very tech-forward school and I, unfortunately, oh bother, have to test this equipment on my wonderful gaming PC and really put it through his paces and all that good stuff. So I am 100% going to go through the Vader Immortal experience. So stay tuned for that. My full review on the next episode of the podcast. Let's fly on over to our final segment before the part two of the last Jedi. I remind you that if you want to know nothing about the rise of Skywalker, take a look at the show notes and fast forward now because then the next few minutes is going to be focused on some news concerning the rise of Skywalker. It is June 19th, 2019, which means July, August, September, October, November, December. We are around 6 months away from the release of this movie. That is not a lot of time, which brings me to my first talking point. Apparently, The Rise of Skywalker was on a different timetable than, say, The Force Awakens, so it had to be edited on set. So they would film some stuff, and it would immediately go to post. And the editor would actually go to J.J. Abrams and be like, all right, I want to do this, and blah, 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 and J.J. Abrams would give them a quick direction and then literally go back to directing. So I just thought that, could that cause a problem, or is that just a new way of filmmaking, the fact that it was edited on set? I know post-production, I know the filming of, of an actual movie takes less time than post. So, you know, what's going down with that? You know, to connect the editing on set on a tight schedule you know according to Jason Ward of at making star wars uh are there reshoots underway you know he writes a little article on whether or not reshoots are happening now reshoots are usually part of a movie you know somebody in post says you know it would be cool if we could get x y and z maybe these two things are connected but anytime there's reshoots Anytime there is things like tight schedule and, oh, we wish we had more time, that often points to like a negative outlook on the film, so time will tell whether or not that's true. Okay, the big story in The Rise of Skywalker deals with a theory. I hope you're ready, and it sort of connects with a theory I've talked about earlier. Now... I asked uh, my new friend on Twitter, Spacefaring Kissboy, at Ben Svolo, B E N S V V O L O, his permission to use this and that I would mention his Twitter handle. So please go ahead and follow him. He is very insightful stuff. So, Spacefaring Kissboy has brought up some interesting points. First, 
he shows a picture of Luke's compass from the Visual Dictionary. Now, we see this compass in The Last Jedi in the hut. We also see this compass in Battlefront 2. Here's the description of the compass. Recovered from one of the Emperor's observatories on Pilio, this antiquated star compass was among the Jedi relics hoarded by the Emperor by the Emperor during his rule. And then there's like a little subtext and it points to the middle of the compass and it says Superluminite Lodestone attuned to hyperspace vectors. Huh. So it seems like obviously it's a compass to get you somewhere, but does this compass point you into the direction of strong force lines, like fault lines on the Earth? So now he puts up another picture, and you can see the compass in a scene from The Last Jedi. And you may have, you may remember I just mentioned that it was in Luke Skywalker's Jedi Hut on Octu. But wait a second. In this scene, it's not. And by the way, this is the first time I've seen this. Look at Palpatine's compass. It's not really Palpatine's compass. It's the uh, no, Luke's compass. Sitting, in caps, sitting next to Ben Solo while he sleeps. Just as his uncle is suspicious of him and probing his mind. So I guess this scene shows up for a brief moment in time and it has a calligraphy pen and it has some his lightsaber and some scrolls and things like that. And the next thing of Spacefaring Kiss Boy puts down at Ben's Volo, Sith artifacts were items often ancient, created, or used by the Sith. A sect of malevolent force sensitives Close proximity to such items could affect people, and a large number of Sith artifacts gathered together could create a wellspring of evil energy. Darth Sidious, a Sith master who ultimately became the supreme ruler of the Galactic Empire, collected such artifacts. Between the deep, and this is a continuation of his thread, between the deep, long-running malevolence of Darth Sidious and him being a full-blown Sith Lord long before Vader showed up, it's easy for me to believe that he wasn't truly gone after Return of the Jedi. Considering that, and the Sith were always canonically trying to find a way to cheat death and become more powerful over time through draining power from others, clearly they would target the most powerful Force users to ever exist. Talking about the Skywalkers, talking about Ben Solo, who is extremely powerful on both the light and the dark side, something we've been told on screen repeatedly. There's a whole section in the Book of the Sith about different types of Sith artifacts and what each of the different famous Sith Lords attempted to use them. The book is technically Legends EU, but a surprising amount of it is pulled from the prequel and Clone Wars canon. And uh, the opposite book is the Book of the Jedi, in which Ryan Johnson used the Force projection power from that book. So, although it's technically Legends in EU, there appears to be some connections to regular a.k.a. Disney canon. He continues, We also get so many hints that Ben Solo is a history nerd. The details about his calligraphy set, the construction of his cross guard straight out of ancient lightsaber designs, an artifact on his bedside, the clearly old-school influence of his dark side night aesthetic. You know, Rebels introduced the cross guard on, I think, was, was it Malastar? Mm, don't quote me. 
but it was when there was a giant war of a thousand Sith and a thousand Jedi, and there were cross guard lightsabers. So that's ancient. Furthermore, someone mentioned that this is an old Jedi artifact, according to Battlefront 2. But again, in the Book of the Sith, they talk about the Sith purposefully corrupting light side artifacts for their own use, basically repurposing the Force energy in an already powerful object. My goodness. The idea that Palpatine had a plan just in case his original plan of utilizing Vader failed. This is coming to fruition. Uh, I asked him, I said, God bless this thread. May I use for my podcast? And Spacefaring Kiss Boy says, you're welcome to. And then I told him that I'd shout him out. I said, I love this idea of the artifacts. It's pretty awesome. And the thread is pretty amazing. So please, please check it out. I'm actually just favoriting and liking it. It has 25 retweets and 100 likes. I was the 100th like. Look at that. I want to connect the Sith artifacts with the possibility of them traveling back to Naboo. I'm telling you, this Rise of Skywalker movie is going to be equivalent to the Deathly Hallows of Harry Potter. All of these stars are aligning to have... Our main three go on a fantastic, literally for the first time using that word correctly, a fantastic adventure to find these Sith artifacts and to destroy them. I can see both Kylo and Rey having to be an equivalence, a light side user, a dark side user, both having to put their energy into the destruction of the artifact. It must work since the most used and powerful lightsaber was destroyed, split in two, because both were conflicted about it. I'm super excited for this theory. Uh, I don't want to surmise or presume that any of this will happen. This is all out of my brain, connected with other people on the internet, like at Ben's Volo. Give him a follow, but it's pretty awesome to think that this is a possibility. That's no moon. It's a breakdown. So we're back for part two of this breakdown of The Last Jedi, a segment that is going to be ongoing for the next few episodes to keep you coming back. We ended at the 26-ish minute mark, specifically 26.05 if you're following at home. I'll give you a moment to get that queued up. Just kidding, we're getting started right now. So pause it right now before we get there. So 26.05, we just found out that the Jedi have to end. Okay, we are taking a look at Leia. She's definitely having some thoughts and some regrets about what happened to her her band of resistance. So they come out of hyperspace, and meanwhile, the thought is that have they been in hyperspace for like two to three days? 
You're demoted. Well, wait. So she slapped Poe. At what cost? You start and you follow through. Poe, get your head out of your cockpit. There, there are things that you cannot solve by jumping in an X-wing and blowing something up. I need you to learn that. So she gives him a valuable life lesson. Dead and you have to realize that Leia's seen a lot, you know, and it's just one of those things that Poe has to learn, really you know? Where. How's Ray gonna find us now? So they talk the about this home. cloaked binary beacon and right, Finn's so super excited. And right now, I like the Funny fact that Finn is a little bit more involved, and if you remember that, uh, he was just in a coma. But wait a second. Admiral Akbar, proximity alert, and way too much overkill for the First Order right here. There are ships like you wouldn't believe. Oh, one, two, three, four, five, maybe eight ships with the supremacy. Snoke's giant 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 ship now talk about convenience how does Leia know that they tracked them through light speed like what like what are you talking about why is that a possibility so comedic relief with Poe permission to blow something up and we have you know, we were just out of a space battle, and now we got alarms going on. We got shields up. The First Order is bombarding them. And, you know, we see Kylo Ren's TIE silencer for the first time. And honestly, it's a pretty cool looking ship. And he seems pretty confident as a pilot, so he must be pretty skillful. We have a classic scene of the Rebels, or aka the Resistance, getting ready. Lots of action. You see a picture of the hangar. Some ships going down. Kylo's TIE silencer just ripping into the hull of the Radis. Weird spinning motion reminds me of uh, Anakin Skywalker back in the prequels. And he somehow infiltrates the ship and fires the most devastating missile ever, which conveniently kills everything in its path, except for Poe Dameron and BB-8, introducing plot armor, version one of The Last Jedi. And that is a devastating sight. So not only did they just lose all their bombers, but they just lost the majority of their fleet. You all right? We need to get out of range of those Star Destroyers. We need to what? Full engines ahead. Get out of range of the Star Destroyers and the fighters will fall back. All right. All so now we have the concept of getting out of range. And, you know, they have surface cannons themselves, so they could technically take out those TIE fighters if they weren't getting shot at. So their plan is to run, which is definitely super interesting because normally you'd fight. And now we have a cool scene of Leia and Kylo force connected with the Leia theme, the Leia and Han theme playing. We have Kylo's conflict of 
wanting to fire the missile, but ultimately he doesn't, which is... What does that mean? But his fellow TIE Fighters wouldn't care in the least, and the bridge blows up, and at this point in the movie, the first time I watch it, I'm like, holy S. It's over. She's done. He didn't do it, but it's been done. I can't believe that Leia is dead. M maybe this was the plan this whole time. But you definitely can tell that Kylo is very frustrated. Like he just has that look of like baby dog, baby puppy eyes. So you have General Hux, who's looking, by the way, much better than the first scene. So he must have gotten some rest over the past couple days. And they acknowledge the fact that the First Order Star Destroyers are slower and the other ships are faster. And now we have the scene that broke this movie for many. And I will admit, the first time I saw this scene in theaters, I was super embarrassed for the scene. Like, I didn't quite understand the execution of this scene. I, I felt that it was super, super awkward. Um, but she's definitely wearing that wristlet that they're selling in Galaxy's Edge for $450. So if you're into, like, supermanning, space-witching stuff then this is for you now oh god oh it's still cringy just it's not good now an interesting part is that the, the resistance people are seeing and Leia flies right through the supremacy's hollow projection on the bridge in the exact uh, way that Haldo will eventually hyperspace sacrifice herself through the supremacy later in the film. Uh, someone did point that out, you know, and I can appreciate that, but the overall execution of that scene is just terrible, and I don't really want to talk about it anymore because it's just uh, uh, dumb. That's what it is. I don't like the con things dumb, but they could have done an infinite amount of things to show that Leia had the Force, and those that was not part of it. So back to Octu. It's nighttime again, so I'm assuming that this is night of day two or day three, and obviously they've been there a while because Chewie has gotten pretty good at catching these porks. But uh, he often, uh, you know, has some. He's feeling bad about eating them because the porks are just so cute and cuddly. And again, people had issue with the porks when the Ewoks existed. Like, give me a break. I like the porks. The porks are cool. And, we see in the background a silent figure enters the Falcon. And we have sort of uh, a different look at Luke. He's been very curmudgeon -y. He turns on the lights to the Falcon, which, by the way, Chewbacca doesn't notice. Yeah, let's ignore that. Luke pulls on the dice, which, again, connect to different movies like Solo and uh, other uh, comics, books. Luke sitting in the living room area of the Falcon, dejected. But R2-D2. This was a great scene. I, I can't believe it. Um, you know, after going through that emotional roller coaster of Leia. Yeah, this scene was just so genuine. Yeah. 
Such a good, such a good scene. But even, you know, Luke's pretty, pretty adamant about not coming back. And then R2D2, you know, again, that nostalgia factor is at a thousand. You know, the slow turn of R2-D2's head. You know, we had the theater was laughing at that, you know. But, like, what a tribute to the older movies. And I gotta believe that this was the start of him wanting to be back into the fight. Because, you know, he, he stands over Ray. Tomorrow, at dawn, three lessons. And I will teach you the promises to, to teach Ray. And why they need to end with three lessons. Now, you know, again, if you say three lessons, you better follow up with three lessons. And I gotta say, you know, I was super excited for those scenes. So the one thing I can give Ryan Jensen credit is uh, the, the mix, the post-editing of going back and forth was well-paced. You know, just one, it's kind of like mini-episodic TV series. As soon as we were ready to move on, it would go on to something else. So we're finding out that the, the, the news report that Leia Organa has been incapacitated is coming out. You know, Poe is excited. He thinks he's going to be in charge and not at all. Like, as if you had a chance in the first place, big guy. The Resistance is pretty organized. So we have Laura Dern's character, Vice Admiral Haldo. If you didn't read any of the books, then the all you see is a lady with a long neck and purple hair, and you dismiss her completely. If you read some of the books, like I did, uh, Princess Leia of Alderaan, you learned that Leia and Haldo were best friends growing up on Alderaan, and they completed a bunch of these trials that are required by anybody who lives on Alderaan, and they became close. So her being second in command makes sense if you knew that information. But if you didn't know that information, then she's just a lady with purple hair. But there's a little tidbit. So they come up with a plan. It's basically go back to your stations. Like, we're going to figure this out, but we just need everything to be status quo. So get out of here. Not what I expected. And the majority of the fan base also said that. Not what I expected. So they're starting to bring up the idea of time in this movie. What's our plan? Our plan, Captain? Not Commander, right? Wasn't it Leia's last official act to demote you for your dreadnought plan? Where we lost our entire bombing fleet? So now we have Haldo ragging on Poe, which is not a good move for the audience because we don't know this lady. But she's a strong female character in the Star Wars universe, and that's a good thing. So it's clear that Poe has been given more responsibility by Leia, and this lady just completely skirts him. So now we cut to Finn, and he seems to be taking... Uh, he seems to be 
having the idea of, you know what? I'm going to go after Ray because I know we're in a bad situation. The First Order is going to find us. They're going to catch up to us. They're going to kill us. And if Ray ends up here, then she's also going to die. So he's just looking out for his buddy. Remember, the first person he truly interacted with, Ray from Jakku. Okay. Obviously, he has a strong connection to her. You don't just fight Kylo Ren if you don't think you have a good relationship. So we're introduced to Rose Tiku, a new character to the franchise. A unfortunately uh, got bashed on social media of her role in this movie. And if you didn't know, like removed herself from social media. That's how bad it can get. The Star Wars universe and fans can be so wonderful in so many ways, but when it gets down to this, they're just characters, and there's real people playing these characters, so just remember that. You know, Do I like Rose? Nah, not really. I think she's not essential to the franchise as of right now. But, you know, she's also a normal-ish character, a hopeful character who's also a female engineer. So again, good representation of the female character in Star Wars. So we can figure out by now that Poe is trying to like, uh, not Poe, that Finn is trying to get on out of there because he wants to get to Rey. But it seems like Rose has different plans because she thinks that he is trying to escape. So he shocks her, and just like that, boom, the scene changes. I can't move. I can't move. I know. What happened? I'm taking you to the brig and turning you in for desertion. I was not deserting. I told you My that... My sister just died protecting the fleet. And you were running. This fleet is doomed, and if my friend comes back to it, she's doomed too. I've got to get this. I've got to get this beacon far away from here. Then she'll find me and be safe. You're a selfish traitor. We cannot run the First Order fleet. We can jump to light speed. Well, they can drive us through light speed. Okay, so now we have we have plot movement. Later, we'd have blown a ton of fuel, which, by the way, we're dangerously short on. Again, bringing up the concept of time. What did you shoot me with? Active tracking. What now? So this non-essential character who works in the engine knows about active tracking. So this must be a concept that is known throughout the galaxy. Of course, it wasn't known to the normal Star Wars audience. I didn't know about it, for sure. So now they come up with this put-together plan to... Uh, Get on the ship and disable it. So again, so they go right to Poe instead of Haldo, which is an interesting choice. I like where your head's at, but you know they'd only start tracking us from another destroyer. But if we can sneak on board the lead destroyer and disable the tracker without them realizing, they won't realize it's off for one system cycle, about six minutes. Sneak on board. So they come up with this plan of 
sneaking on board, getting out of there, and it's a good plan, you know, I'm, I'm okay with it. I can suspend disbelief enough uh, for that to happen, and, you know, Poe falls for this plan because he's desperate to do something. Rose covers for Finn, which is an interesting character development. Oh, we gotta do this. It'll save the fleet and it'll save Ray. If I must be the sole voice of reason, Admiral Polo will never agree to this plan. Yeah, you're right, 3PO. It's a need-to-know plan, and she doesn't. That wasn't exactly... All right, you guys shut down that tracker. I'll be here to jump us to light speed. The question is... How do we sneak the two of you onto Snoke's destroyer? Still clearance codes. No, they're via hexacrypt and re-scrambled every hour. This part is so boring. Just get, get to it, man. Like, this is like 12 minutes. Not even 12. Like, six minutes of wasted time. All right. Well, we have a nice reappearance of Maz Kanata. Overwhelmingly underused in this movie after having such an influence in The Force Awakens you would think that Maz would have been recruited to the resistance but she's in a labor dispute what are you talking about you might as well be talking about the taxation of hyperspace trade routes a la phantom medicine god who cares weird sexual joke in a Star Wars movie. Fine. In the casino. On Canto Bite. Canto Bite? No, no. Maz, is there any way that we can take care of this ourselves? Sorry, kiddo. This is rarefied cracking. You want to get on that destroyer? I only know one option. Find the master code breaker. So again, get the code breaker. Disable the tracker. Escape. It's a good plan. Just didn't need that much time to tell it. See, now we're back to Octu, the things we've been waiting for. It is dawn. Ray is sleeping in one of the huts now, which is nice. There is a parallel scene with Kylo Ren. We're assuming this is happening in real time. His scar is being uh, fixed. They both realize something. And we have our first force connection. They look at each other, heavy breathing, they're not sure what's going on. And she fires. But what's interesting is that Kylo Ren actually feels like he gets hit, even though he's not there. So there is bigger plans at stake here. Again, the Force is a wonderfully mysterious, living thing that's happening. So they're both sort of checking out their own environments, which is very different. And they see each other again. He tries to use a Force Jedi mind trick. And it's super awkward because you know that's not going to work now. I'm not doing this. Yeah, I thought it would kill you. Can you see my surroundings? You're gonna pay for what you did. I can't see yours. Just you. Something wrong. This is 
something else. Kylo is generally curious about what is happening. Luke. What's that about? Now we're introduced to the uh, caretakers of the island. And they're cute little creatures. I like it. My blast, it went off. Let's get started. So again, Ray doesn't want to tell him that he can see Kylo Ren. Shows a little bit of a gray area with Ray. Like, hmm, I don't really want to get into it right now. Again, Luke, Luke and Ray's relationship is just so good on this island. Every I was hanging on to every word they were saying. So now we're starting to see a little bit of the lore of the island, the inner workings of said island. Every moment they're on this island is just there's something to look at from the prime Jedi, perfectly balanced between. Light and dark, you know, and I think that's the point. We need you to bring the Jedi back because Kylo Ren is strong with the dark side of the Force. Without the Jedi, we won't stand a chance against him. What do you know about the Force? It's a power that Jedi have that lets them control people and make things float. Love her definition of the Force. Lesson one: Sit here, legs crossed. So I like this. Luke Skywalker. He's sort of like he's seeing the force in a different light. It's the energy between all things, the tension, the balance that binds the universe together. Okay. What is it? Close your eyes. Audible laughter from the theaters of her physically reaching out. And this scene is just so yes, hilarious. Really? Wow, it must be really strong oh, with you. Ow. It sort of reminds me, you know, it's it's good. You know, it's good Star Wars humor and I and I loved it. Um you know, Yoda, by the way, knocking on R two is equivalent to this scene, you know, the silliness factor of it. But again, Ray, you know, she's vanilla. She doesn't know. You know, she's got this power she doesn't understand. And, you know, she's discovering all of this at one time. It's like a, a you know, a baby who's sponging all this information. So now we're getting like a pretty cool insight into what the Force is all about. It's great imagery. Violence. The theme is balance. balance. Energy. The theme is there's an opposite to everything, and the force brings us all together. Inside me. Vanity, get me 
feel that. There's something else. So the Jedi not owning the Force is a huge concept. It's such a cultural shift from what we know. So Rey is being called by the dark side of the Force. Luke is very concerned. And he goes right to his training of resist it. Even though he says that it's not about the Jedi anymore. Well, why would she try to stop herself? I didn't see you. And we get the big revelation. Nothing from you. He has closed himself off. You've closed yourself off from the Force. Of course you have. I've seen this raw strength only once before. In Ben Solo. It didn't scare me enough then. It does now. Okay, so that is the 51-minute mark, and it is a good time to close out part two. So we've learned so much in this 25 minutes. We've learned that Haldo takes over. There is a, there's no plan. Poe is impatient. Finn and Rose meet, you know, coincidentally. They come up with this haphazard plan of getting a master code breaker. They ask Maz. Maz points him to a Canto bite. That whole scene is just nonsense. Just get to the point. But they have something going on. Meanwhile, in Octu, you know, Luke sees R2-D2. R2-D2 guilts him by showing him old footage of Leia. You know, I really believe that that pulled him to at least explore the training of Rey in which he wakes her up and says three lessons, the morning comes Rey has this strange moment with Kylo Ren, this strange force bond moment we don't know why it's happening, maybe it's because she's on the island and she's being enveloped by this good stuff, but they're light years away, right? They're, you know, how far are they away but they're still be able to communicate you know, this is not too far-fetched because in Empire Strikes Back Luke communicated with Leia you know, now they were in sort of the same system, so this is definitely on a bigger global scale. But again, we're suspending disbelief and seeing what's going to happen. And then Luke sort of gives her lesson one about the Force and how it is something that is equal between all things and it doesn't belong to anyone but itself and that it uh, sort of has a powerful light and it has a powerful dark, and the dark calls to Rey, and it offers her something. And Luke is just completely shocked that the power that Rey is showing was also shown in Kylo Ren, a.k.a. Ben Solo, and he definitely is fearful of that, because look at what happened. Kylo Ren exists, the First Order reigns, and Luke has no idea what's happening because he has completely shut himself off from the force well that was part two of that's no moon it's a breakdown i hope you were able to follow along and i hope uh, my ramblings 
uh, weren't as distracting this time, or at least you got a little bit of insight and some tidbits into The Last Jedi. But this definitely the second half of the movie, well, not the second, the second part of this breakdown, you know, there's some good, juicy material in there. So check back in Episode 4 for Part 3 as we make our way through The Last Jedi. And our final Star Wars news segment of this podcast, I would like to pass on the information of Star Wars Celebration being in Anaheim in 2020. However, they announced this 10 days ago and gave people two weeks to prepare to purchase tickets, which will be going on sale in just a few days. From what I understand, these tickets sell out fast, and they are hella expensive. Uh, I do not plan on going. I'll explore the idea of purchasing a ticket, but as of right now, I don't make plans to go to Anaheim unless it was my first time. But being as I'm going in December, I don't think it's very prudent to go back in August. So it's a four-day Star Wars celebration in August, late August. And if you're interested in that, check out StarWars.com for more information. As always, this podcast cannot exist without Greg and Sam of the We Pod Squad. Check out their podcast called We Podcast and We Know Things weekly on Friday mornings. Everything that you need for nerdy news. Second, partnering with me on every other Tuesday is the Ion Ryan Show, a in-depth look of wrestling, pop culture, Marvel, and Star Wars toys. Check out his podcast for the latest Sinister Six Philadelphia giveaway. So I have a few discussion questions. Actually, in fact, I have a singular discussion question that I would like you to think about. Thinking of the movies, okay, from the prequels to the originals to the sequels to Rogue One to uh, Sol- to Solo to the Clone Wars to Rebels, does time, the concept of time, does time matter in the Star Wars universe. For example, in Avengers Endgame, they clearly established that five years passed between the events of the snap and where the Avengers ended up. They established that. There's no real establishment of time in the Star Wars universe, but Ryan Johnson attempted to make something happen. What say you of time in the Star Wars universe. Think about it. As I say to my students, think on this, and we'll get back to you with a better answer later down the road. Well, it has been a pleasure bringing Episode 3 of the last podcast to you. I must say, excitement for Episode 1 and Episode 2 and the adrenaline kept me going, but Episode 3, 4, and 5 will be the grinding episodes. This is what makes or breaks podcast right now the honeymoon stage is over hopefully you're sticking with me on this journey and if you are let me hear your voice let me read your comments i look forward to the connections you can find me on all the socials if you search out mrc tech on facebook twitter instagram 
Twitch, you will find me. If you go to my website, www.mrctechllc.com, you will find me. If you have a tech support question, my buddy Mike Mann just met him. He had some interesting issues with Audacity. I am not a great expert on Audacity, but I was able to help troubleshoot an issue through Instagram. Please reach out. I look forward to connecting with you. And as always, subscribe to the We Podcast and We Know Things a podcast feed so you can get the latest episodes to your earbuds. It has been a pleasure. My name is Sean of MRC Tech. This has been the last podcast. And as always, may the force be with you. <laughs>